Good morning. God's good. I'm good all the time. That's how you know you're saved. Yeah, that's how you know you're saved. And all the time, God is good. If you're new with us today, my name is Pastor Scott, and uh, we welcome to you at Harrison Faith Church. Um, if, you're, if you are new and you've not been here before, do me a favor. Um, in front of you, there's a connection card. Uh, if you want to just take a few seconds to fill that out and just let us know that you're here. It's hard for us to know. Uh, I look at all these faces out here for, for who you are. Um, and so if you don't mind, at the end of the service, we're going to take that card up. We would love to connect with you. And let me just explain a few things we've changed in terms of the service flow, just so we are on the, how can two walk together unless they agree, right? So we need to uh, explain a few changes just so you know what to expect. Um, I, I don't like to do things without intention. And so when we, when we have worship, uh, after worship, we want to go right into the word uh, because that's all You've come for a spiritual reason <laughs> and a spiritual nature. And so we want to maintain the atmosphere of prayer and worship when we go into the Word. But then after that, uh, we'll have a time for altars because that's where we respond, right? That's the time when we get to, to hear, say, Lord, I hear what you're saying. Now do that in me. Work within me. After our time of uh, um, the altar, we're going to have a time to give or the tithes and offering will come out, and then we'll do some announcements. That's how it'll work. Here's the reason why. is because we know that worship sets you up for the word, and the word uh, imparts into your heart, and your heart then wants to respond. And if it resp- a, way, a way that we respond is, is, uh, in worship is giving, is in the tithing. That's the way. Remember, now, tithing is not for the church to receive. It's for you to receive. We'll get into that one of these days. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But just want you to understand why we do what we do so you can be expected as we move through that. I want to just say thank you for coming this morning. Um, I have been just, boy, my heart's been full. I, here's what I hope today that I can get out everything that's needed and not all of it. Because if I get all, all of it, uh, well, you can make it by 2 o'clock to lunch, I promise you. <laughs> Some of y'all said, I'm so glad he said that. I brought my notes. I'm ready. Pastor Scott, just preach as long as you want to. Amen. That's right. That's what I heard the men say. Preach, Pastor. I brought my notes today. I got my moleskin notebook and a brand new ink pen. Let's go. I, I, I know, I, I, I received your confidence today. <laughs> uh, oh, Lord, we love you. And God, as we get into your word, we ask you today that you would just open our hearts, Lord. Your word is eternal. God, your word is spirit and life. That's what we need. When we go to work, when we deal with the issues of our life, Lord, when we deal with personal issues, God, what we need is a word that we can come to. It's your word that renews our mind. It's your word, God, that fights our battles. It's your word that heals us. It's your word that saves us. It's your word. And so, God, we've come to be in your presence, but we've come also that your word, your seed, might find um, a fruitful soil, God, tilled up so that we receive your word today. God, I pray you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 4, we've been talking about Nehemiah for a couple weeks now, a few weeks now, and uh, I want to talk to you about why we're in it. So just in case you were, you were gone the last couple times, we, or a few times we've been talking about it, what, what are we talking, why are we talking about Nehemiah? Uh, last week, if you were out, we were talking about rebuilding walls. We've been talking about rebuilding some walls in your life. What are the things that speak of God in your life that need to be built back? 
And if you were gone last week, we spoke that our feelings don't initiate our actions, but they're just indicators to let you know you need to process your life, pray about it, that, that our physical problems need spiritual solutions. We, we need spiritual solutions to our physical problems. And then we talked about the importance of counting others more important than yourself. Uh, and that one of the best ways to really address the issues in our heart is to help somebody's problems with our hands, is to, is to lend our strengths and our skills and our abilities to walk with them through life. And, uh, and then we talked about the importance of knowing your enemy because it's important to know your enemy, right? It's very important to know your enemy. When I was growing up as a kid, my, my sister was my enemy. And uh, it was important to know Karen, my sister. Now, one of these days, you'll meet her, and you'll be like, Pastor Scott, you were a hellion. Because that sweet girl, there's no way. Listen, don't be fooled, all right? Don't be fooled. She, she is not the same. Neither am I. Uh, but I had to know her attacks, her strategies. Because she, uh, she owned me good for a good solid 12 years. Uh, and one of these days, I will open up and be transparent on the pulpit uh, when I feel like y'all won't judge me. But... Um, uh, we, we had it out. I don't know how she's alive. I don't know how I'm alive. Anybody had a sibling like that? Like, just the fact that you're here today lets you know the grace of God is real. And let me tell you, I did try to kill her, but I was not successful. Um, <laughs> many times, many times. So it's important for you to know your enemy. Thankfully, I didn't know her uh, that good. I, I would have figured it out. Why is it important to know your enemy? Because your enemy has a strategy for your life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, in order that we may not be exploited by Satan, we are not to be ignorant of his schemes. You need to know it. We can't just walk in ignorance and expect everything to be okay. No. (laughs) If the Lord has a plan for you, guess what? Satan does too. And he will allocate resources and bring people into your life to expose you to his schemes. And so we ought to be mindful of that. There's two different ways I want you to know that Satan will attack your life. He will do it through manipulation. And when that doesn't work, he'll do it through intimidation. He, he, is, he is constantly working through those things. Now, he wants to express himself through full domination, but he don't got authority anymore to do that. And so he's constantly vacillating between manipulation and intimidation. He did this with Jesus as well. When Jesus was in the garden, uh, I'm sorry, when he was in the, in the wilderness, uh, he tempted him, right? And, and these three different trials that Jesus uh, encountered, we see him trying to manipulate Jesus to ask for things or give things or worship or become some stuff that he wasn't. He would try to manipulate him. And when he couldn't do that, because Jesus fought him off with the word himself, <laughs> um, then, then Satan tried to intimidate him by a show of force. And power, but what I loved is, is that Jesus said, just bring it on because whatever your plan is really was my plan from the beginning. And so sometimes if you look back at your life and you know where you've come from some hard stuff, that the enemy's plan was, the, was, was God's plan altogether. Um, that God has the ability to redeem from every situation possible. And so what we see is that Satan tries to do just that. He tries to first manipulate you. Think about this at work. Can we just go to work for a second? Have you ever been manipulated at work or intimidated at work? No, y'all got good employees. Y'all are good. Y'all good. I'm so glad to be in Harrison where everything is pure and holy. Thank you, Lord. We ain't got no problems here, no manipulation, no intimidation. Uh, And so today we're going to unfold 
how we see the enemy do just that. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. We are going to cover in the entire chapter of 4 today. Um, and, and so uh, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. My, I'm just going to just spout out some stuff. You just take some notes today. I'm going to have some points up on the screen, but I, I just feel like there's so much here today. I honestly was overwhelmed and just said, I, I just pulled my hair out. That's why, I don't, that's why I'm lo- losing it here. I said, Lord, I don't know what to, so much. God is so much. And so uh, we're just going to walk through it. And let the word speak to us. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry. Isn't that funny? He was angry, angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, Where are these feeble, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And then his mini-me, Tobiah, the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on the wall, he'll, he'll break down their stone wall. I kind of see Tobiah like, have you ever watched the Christmas story? Right? Boy, you guys. So, you know the bully, the big bully, right? And then you got the little bitty guy, you know. he's like, he's, it's, The bullies always have a little bitty guy on the edge. And this is Tobiah right here. Yeah, but if a fox goes up there, you, you, you break down your wall. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's, that's how I kind of see this happening right now. And Samuel's like, shut up. All right, like, I got this, you know. And so the Jews are sitting back, and they're hearing all of this, this manipulation, all this mockery going on. And what I noticed here is that as, as the wall is being built, Samuel becomes angry, and then he's, provoked, and then, he, and then he mocks the Jews. Now, why is he doing that? And notice that his argument, he says that you're too weak, right? You can't, you can't work for the Lord. You can't do what the Lord has asked you to do. Why? Because you're too weak. That you're, you're going to do it by yourself. You can just, you can, you're, you're strong enough, you're resourced enough to do it by yourself. Will you bribe God with your sacrifices? Does God, let's be honest for a second. Look at your wall. There's a reason why God is not in favor with you. Why in the world would he listen to you now? Do you not know who you are? Do you not know what family you've come from? And and all of a sudden, God wants to redeem you? Can you really give God what he wants? They're intimidating. They're manipulating for sure. And then he comes to the place where he says it's, it's a pitiful as a, a fox could pull it down. You know, the crazy thing about mockery is that in these particular instances, it's effective because it's true. It's true. You know, when the enemy comes to you, he doesn't just come to you with bold-faced lies. He brings you some truth, and, and you're, and you're kind of stopped. He would say to me, Scott, let's be real about who you are. Let's be real about where you came from. Let's, let's, let's talk about those things that you don't want to talk about. And, and then he begins to speak some things that are truth, but you know how he is, like he was in the garden, and he begins to twist it and put other things that are not right, and therefore I'm stuck in a moment where I'm confused because I can't differentiate between those things that are true and those things that are false, and somehow I lean to the lie because I feel like I should just deserve that, Right? And so we have to watch that the fact that the enemy comes to manipulate us. We're talking about how the enemy oppresses us, how the enemy is effective. We need to be wise of his schemes and his devices. And this is one way that he does that, that he uses truth to create lies about you. Why is Sam Ballot so angry? 
Think about this for a second. Sanballat has just been fine by himself, you know, for 150 years almost now. And so all of a sudden the Jews have traveled almost 1,000 miles away from Susa and the citadel. And they have come to rebuild the wall. And all of a sudden Sanballat is, is, is not liking what he's seeing here. Why is that? What does my wall got to do with your life? You live all the way over there. Why is, if I rebuild my wall, my marriage, my relationship, my whatever, if I'm rebuilding, why does that make you angry? What does my life got to do with your life when you're not even a part of my life, but all of a sudden the enemy is angry? Was he jealous? He didn't want the, no, he wasn't jealous of the wall. There was something more about this that he didn't like. He knew that if the Jews, because you have to understand, Sanballat, he understood the legacy of Israel. You, you didn't just live in that day and not know that Israel was one of the most powerful kingdoms on the earth. He knew that. He heard that through the oral culture of the day. And he knew that if he allowed this wall to be rebuilt, he would lose prominence, power, influence, and see, what I want you to know today is that is this. People are not against you. They're just for themselves. It's the truth. Go, go home and, and think that through with your job, with some of your family members, with your neighbors. Because that's the truth. People are not really against you. You're just in the way of what they want to have happen. You're blocking them somehow. But somehow we personalize that and say, what, are, what, what, what have I done? And now we're trying to question ourselves and our motives and our intents when the real issue is not us at all. You have to know that as God uses Harrison Faith Church, we are going to see people attack us. Listen, it's not about us. It's about them. They see us either competing or doing whatever it is to get in their way. They have a goal and agenda in life. And as God uses us to rebuild walls, expect that somewhere it's going to cost the enemy. And if it means that the enemy is going to lose power, and prominence, and influence in your life, then just be honest and just tell the enemy, that's what I came to do. <laughs> we are takers in the land. When we cross the Jordan, the Lord says, this is your land. Everything you see is yours. I don't care who it belongs to, take it. And I know sometimes that doesn't feel like real Christian-like because we're supposed to give, and that's true, but not before we take. We can't give what we don't have. And so we're going to take first. Welcome to the church of takers this morning. Some of y'all say, that's just a big aggressive for me, Pastor Scott. I just can't play that game. Well, let, move out of the way. I'll take it for you and give it to you. Because listen, I, I, I don't agree with anything the kingdom of darkness has for my life, my city, my family, or my church. We're going to take it. We are going to take it. So look, notice this. He, he discourages them in this way. He discourages them by, by, by mocking them and, and getting the, uh, distracted from the real truth that's going on. Can I tell you that discouragement comes because you focus on smaller truths. Yes, these things are true. Yes, what he said is true. And the people became discouraged. Why? Because discouragement is simply when you focus on a smaller truth. The greater truth is very apparent. 
Yes, the wall is small, but God is going to be able to use us to rebuild to make it great again. There's so many things. Yeah, is, the, is the wall unstable? Yes, but we ain't finished yet. There are smaller truths, but then there are greater truths. And you and I, we get discouraged because we're focusing on smaller truths. That's why it's so fundamentally important for you to know your word. Because this is the truth. And the enemy will bring truths to you and cause you to focus on small things. But if you can focus on bigger things, you'll not worry about those smaller things and discouragement won't be a problem for you. Am am I, am I hitting home at all this morning? Let me just say this as well. Discouragement is the elevating of smaller truths over greater ones. And depression is when those truths become a lifestyle. Let me say it again. It's not in my notes. I want you to hear it. Discouragement is the elevating of smaller truths over greater ones. And depression is when those truths become a lifestyle. So if you're struggling, it's the word that you need. Know your truths. So here we are, we're in this place of, of, of confrontation. Can I tell you that, that when you and I are trying to do a good work for God and we find confrontation, really, that's just a confirmation that you're supposed to be there. Oftentimes you can find confirmation and confrontation. Not everyone. Don't go out here and hit somebody and be like, well, this was confirmation. I was supposed to be here and had this guy's vehicle. No, don't, don't create confrontation. But when the enemy brings confrontation, no, you're in the right, you're doing the right thing. Do you know you can't please everybody in life? Do you know that's, that's, not a, that's not a reality? That's a lie to please everyone. Not even Jesus can please everyone. What, what makes us think that it's possible with us? And so know that there's confrontation waiting. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 4 and 5. Here's Nehemiah's prayer. I love this. I love this because I can identify with, with Nehemiah. I'm like, yes, Lord, I know what this man is feeling here. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. (laughs) Do not cover their guilt. He just said, don't forgive them. That's what he just said right then. And let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. I've never seen this before, but I've never realized. Nehemiah basically prayed for them to go to hell right here. That's what he said. Don't don't let them, don't let their sin be blotted out from your sight. Where are you going to go? You ain't going to heaven with, with sin and blotment in your life. This is a serious prayer. You got to know, Nehemiah is not in a holy, somber state and just saying, Lord, and I pray. No, 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 no. Nehemiah was like, Lord, I, I pray you don't forgive them. I pray, you, I pray you turn all their taunts back on their head. I pray you put them in captivity like we went through it because we were disobedient. So judge them like you judged me. Now think about that prayer for a second. What kind of prayer would you pray if you said, Lord, judge them like you judged me? That's a real prayer. I don't even know if I want to pray that for somebody. Nehemiah's a bit angry right here. And so what I want you to see is that it's okay to pray this way. It's okay to pray. Well, number one's in the Bible, so we know it's good. But number two is... This type of prayer is far better than you cursing someone out. Far better. Far better than storing the anger up in your heart. The reason why is this, is that the moment you pray in the fullness of your flesh, (laughs) but you're trying to be biblically sound, you're doing this one thing, that you're involving God in your life, in the situation. And anytime we have a problem in our life, the first thing we ought to do 
is to involve God. You're asking that the God of all wisdom and love take the action and not you. And that's what we need. We need to pray. He needs to act. Because anytime we act and he's praying you don't act, that's not a good solution. So you pray. Trust God for his actions. He is a God. He says, vengeance is mine anyway. But he's vengeful like a daddy's vengeful, right? Oh, I'm going to get you. Do it one more time. See what happens. No, forget that. I'm doing it now. He's a vengeful. But here's the thing is that the Lord wants all the vengeance because he approaches the people to discipline them for their good. You and I don't discipline people for their good. We discipline them for our good. And Jesus said, give that to me. God said, give that to me. And so when he prays, he, he involves them in his prayer. He asks God to make action. And he puts, ourself in a, he puts himself in a place to talk with God and allows God to address his heart. Because to be honest, that's where we typically are. Listen, just, I want to just be honest. It is okay to undo yourself. You don't have to be holy and all those things. Listen, if David could dance naked before the Lord, you can bear being transparent. You know what I mean? It's, it's okay. And so when you pray, don't fight back your emotions. Pray what you mean. And as you keep praying that, you'll notice this. The Lord will change your heart, and hopefully he will change theirs. Nehemiah 4, 6 says this. So we built a wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Notice this. He prayed, but what changed? Not the enemy. They changed. And this is the the result of prayer. So we see no real evidence other than the people had a mind to work. So, the, so he prayed, but the Lord said, okay, 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 I got this taken care of. But what's really important is that you're working, that you're getting to what I'm asking you to do. At this point, we see the wall is at the halfway point. That's important. When you and I are in our lifestyles and we're, we're working on trying to rebuild the wall, the halfway is, is, is an intimidating situation, right? Have y'all ever remodeled a house before? Y'all know what it's like to get to halfway? You go, Lord, have me. that was way more than I expected. You know what I mean? Have y'all been there before? Putting, I, the first time I ever put tile down in my life, I thought, oh, Lord, halfway. My knees can't take no more than this. this. I got to do this again? You know, that halfway fatigues you? Uh, again, I, I know you guys don't work hard jobs, but I'm telling you, if, if you did, you'd realize the halfway point wears you out. It wears you out. You start off with all this passion. We're going to get the job done. We're going to do it right, right, right. Let's go. Halfway, you're like, oh, Lord, we need some people to tap out, man. We got, I need some people to come in. I don't think I can do this no more. And notice this, the halfway point when fatigue sets in and passion is abating. Notice what happens. Now the intimidation starts. Verse 7, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls in Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to close. They were very angry. He was angry in the beginning, but now as the work progresses, the enemy is even more angrier. And, all, and they all plotted to come together and fight against Jerusalem. And notice this, this is really like the, this is the equal sign. To do what? To cause confusion in it. That's the whole point of the enemy is to cause confusion. He really doesn't have authority to do anything else. Let me just remind you, Nehemiah is second in command of all of Persia. 
You do understand he could just send a text back. Well, you know, I don't know, a, a pigeon back home. I don't know how he does that. But he can send it back home and say, uh, King, you sent me down here to restore these walls, and I got this problem over here. Now, will you take care of that? See, that's what I love about Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, I don't have to exercise my legal claim with you. I don't have to do that because I'm not relying on man to establish this anyway. I'm relying on God to take care of this. And so I don't have to manipulate the situation with what I have in my own hands, in my own mouth, in my own power. This is not my work. If it was my work, it would require my power. But since this is God's work, it requires God's power. And so I claim God's authority in this moment. He wants to come to confuse. Set that stuff straight. We know what we've come here to do. Write that vision in your life. What am I going to do in my life? How am I going to achieve that? Make that clear. And when confusion comes up and pulls you back from that, you know the enemy has tried to come into your life. Notice his strategy. He gets the gang together. He's got Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and the Ike brothers. All these guys are coming together, and they're trying to stir up enough people against them. He's pulled people from the south, the east, and the west. Their army is by far larger than all of Judah. So is he intimidating? Absolutely. Most of the time, I would say this. Most of the time, the enemy is always posturing. It's just the threat of attack. It's just knowing that it's there. That, remember, the, the, the goal is for you to stop the, the job. It's to get off the wall. It's to be confused. It's to be worried about that. And if he can do that without actually having to, to come in and, and create an encounter... Because see, he knows if he, if he comes in an encounter with a, with a spirit-filled believer, he knows he's going to have problems. You are not going to come up in my house and take what you want without a fight, and you're going to lose, I guarantee you. And so this is how the enemy knows. He knows if he walks up into the people of God who are blessed by God with God's authority and favor, he knows he will lose that fight, so he won't play that game. He'll just position like he will. Look, look in your life, and as he positioned himself to threaten you? Is he positioning himself in your marriage? Is he positioning your, himself for your kids and your relationship between your kids? Is he positioning himself in your job, amongst your family, amongst your neighborhood? Has he positioned himself against your church? How has he positioned himself? Because I would tell you that he's probably not going to push it any further. But if he can cause you to give up and to tap out and to step away, anything he can do to get you to stop the work, he will. That is his goal. Notice this, Nehemiah 4 9. He says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. The enemy plotted, Nehemiah prayed. The enemy plotted, Nehemiah prayed, but he didn't pray only. And this is where us good Christians, we get stuck in this, right? We pray, we pray, we pray. But he said, we pray to our God and, there's a big and there, and set a guard as protection. Prayer does not exclude our practical participation. It empowers it. Pray and work. I would say prayer doesn't replace action. Prayer empowers it. Prayer empowers it. Don't, if, when you're just acting on something without prayer, you've acted without power. But if you've only prayed about something and not acted on it, then you've not really done anything at all. 
You pray and we ask God to do things. And does he do those things supernaturally? Yes. But can I tell you something about your father? He longs to work with you. He wants to work with you. You know, growing up, I didn't have, I didn't understand this until I met Julie's dad. And, and he began to show me what it's like to work with your father. And so when I read scripture and I see how Jesus was about his father's business, I begin to understand that everything I was doing and everything Jesus was doing was so we can enjoy the process with the father. Jesus does want you to pray. And he's, in fact, he's, in pray, he's praying on behalf of you right now. But, but the real joy for the father in heaven is not just answering your needs. It's working with you to fulfill it. It's the journey. If you're a dad, you know that. You know how important it is to work with your kids because you enjoy, you can make anything, you can ride and do anything, but what you really care about was the journey through it all. The Lord wants us to pray and work. That's important. It's worked in the scriptures as well. We see David and Goliath, right? David prayed and then he went to work. Samson prayed. He should have prayed more, but then he went to work. Moses prayed. And he went to work. The apostles prayed, and they went to work. Don't just pray. Pray and work. Verse 10. And Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing, and there is too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. Man, I... let's Let's just deal with this. Notice this. Again, it's the truth thing again all over again. He's discouraged. He says, Judah, the, the strength is failing. Those things are true. We get tired in the labor. People come to Nehemiah and say, Nehemiah, we're just going to keep it real. These are the facts right now. Everyone's saying how the people on the wall are getting tired. And I would say this is that Judah didn't see wrong things. The leaders didn't see wrong things. They saw incomplete things. So many times we give up in our life because we see incomplete things and we think that they're, well, this is actually what we see. And so we probably should not go ahead and risk or sacrifice or invest or step out on faith to do this. Why? Because we see these truths. No, no, you just see incomplete truths, incomplete truths. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Was it true that people's strength was failing? Yes, their strength was failing. But Psalms 46 says that God is our refuge and strength, very present help in times of trouble. So, so our strength to do something is not our, our own anyway. It's, it's the Lord's. He will be your strength. The truth was that we are tired. The greater truth, the complete thing was that he is our strength. Was it too hard for them to remove the, the rubble? Yes, it was too much for them. But the truth of it is, in Jeremiah 32, 27, it says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of, of flesh. Is anything too hard for me? If I ask you to do it, you're going to do it. I'm going to help you through it. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Was it true that it was too hard for them to rebuild? Yes, they had the skill. Maybe not. But did you know that when the Lord is with you, whatever you lack, he'll give you. I love this particular instance in the Old Testament when God gave Moses the command to build the, the ark and to build all the furniture. And these were furniture pieces that the Lord gave specifically to Moses how to make it. It was important that it was exact and that it was perfect because it would be holy before God. These were holy pieces of furniture that sat in a holy God's presence. 
You couldn't just like, well, I missed that corner and didn't really cut that dovetail right. No, no. You got to be right. Your skills got to be on. But whatever that person lacked, the Lord gave. He says concerning Aholiab and some other big name. I forgot his name. And he says in, in verse uh, 3 and 5 of Exodus 31, he says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones or setting and in uh, carving wood, to work every craft. The Lord will give you everything you need. So again, they're recognizing truth, but you're not seeing the whole truth because whatever you lack, the Lord will give you. It wasn't that it was difficult, the work was difficult. It was that the work was a lot. When you look at your life, there's points in my times in my life, I just said, Lord, can you really? There was a lot of lies in my life, Lord. Can you, re- is there that much truth to offset my lies? Is there, is there that much ability to heal to offset all of the hurt? Lord, there's just too much rubble in my life. And it's not that it's impossible. It's just a lot. Years of disobedience. Years in addiction. And you look at your life and you say, it's just really a lot, Lord. But he's able. He's able. Notice verse 11 through 13. As a matter of fact, let me, let me just kind of wrap this up a little bit. I want to get down to... Mm, yes, let's lay in 11 through 13. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, how many times? Ten times. You must return to us. You must return to, should I say this ten times? You, you, you get the force of what they're saying here. I, I guarantee you, Nehemiah would said a couple of times, yeah, but, but they're like, you must return to us. You must return to us. They were not okay with anything other than, yes, we'll return to you. The reason why is because the threat of the enemy is coming, but these people are on the villages. They're outside of the wall. They are on the fringe. They're in the place where the enemy will attack first. And so they're saying, listen, we appreciate the work on the wall. But what really is the, is the bigger issue is that the work on the wall has cost us people guarding the village. And so right now, you've left me, Nehemiah, without security and comfort and peace. I need you to stop the work on the wall so I can have my comfort back. Are you following me today? Nehemiah says, but he didn't say anything <laughs> because he just said, so I put people on the wall and he just skirted the issue altogether. But what I want you to see here is that they had a legitimate need in their life. And and the role of leadership concerning God's plan is to always say yes to God, even when it means saying no to man. And sometimes that is difficult. Can I tell you as a pastor, the last thing I want to do is tell you no. That's not what we need to do. But you have to understand that I'm called to a wall. I have to build a wall first. And if stopping the work on the wall to say yes to what you legitimately need means I have to say no, then I have to say no. Because at the end of the day, what really matters is that wall is built because that wall speaks of his faithfulness and his word and his promise and his covenant for us. 
And sometimes we have to sacrifice lesser things for greater things. The problem is, is that we don't see lesser things as, as lesser things. We see them as greater things because we're talking about our comfort, our peace, and our security. But if I could be honest here, Nehemiah didn't say this, but he could have said this. He could have said this. I understand you have a legitimate need in your life, but if you would be a part of the work, you would find that peace and, and comfort and security. If you'd come to work on the wall, you would have what you need. And I would just challenge us today to say, what are we lacking in our lives? Maybe, maybe, maybe we would find it if we would get back to the wall, if we'd get back to the work, if we'd get back to the plan this morning. You know, can I tell you that it's difficult to, um, you don't always trust your leaders in your life. Sometimes you don't understand why they go certain directions. Can I tell you, as, as, as following a leader my whole entire life, there are many times I did not agree. I did not agree. I was like, no, that's not good. We're not, we should not be doing that. Scott, yes, sir, I'll do it. Yes, sir, I'll do it. I don't agree, but we'll do it. And can I tell you that those are the moments where you know where your loyalty lies. Those, and, and can I just tell you, if at some point in time, if ever as your pastor, I lead you in a place that you don't feel like you need to go. You don't feel like it's a right decision. Can I ask you to do this? Can I ask you to pray? Pray for me, knowing that my heart is tied to God. And if God wants me to do that, I will do that. And if I am not listening to God, then pray God bring somebody else to replace me who will. Because what you need is a shepherd who is listening to the shepherd. That's what's most important. And so long as we do that, yeah, amen. So long as we listen to him, he knows our every need, right? He's the one who leads us in the green pastures, right, by still waters. But he also takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. I guarantee you those sheep didn't want to follow that shepherd, but it was okay because he had a rod and a staff. And remember, that you have to trust your shepherd. That's not easy. It's not easy. But it is doable. And pray that the leadership always would hear the voice and heart of God. Man, I got so much more to, t- to, to take here, but it ain't going to be today. It ain't going to be today. Caleb, would you come up? Let's ask the question today. When I studied Nehemiah chapter 4, I had to ask myself, Lord, where, where are you in all of this? What are you doing in all of this? Because I, I see these principles. and I know how the enemy is trying to manipulate me and intimidate me. I understand that I, I ought not pray only, but I need to work as well. I see that people are not just against me, but they're really for themselves. I see those things. So, Lord, help me understand how am I supposed to understand the enemy and respond and also help me understand how are you in this chapter unfolding who you are because really what we come to know in the word is a greater revelation of Jesus right and if we can't get there then why are we why are we reading anyway so let me tell you where I see Jesus in all of this I see Jesus saying this is that it's so important to me that I show you how the enemy attacks because I don't want you like Israel to assimilate into the world naively or ignorantly. I will show you and bring you leaders into your life to show you the way on how to respond. Like Judah, we do not want you to become sold into slavery once again. Jesus came and gave his life to make sure that would happen for us if we chose him. 
And so as we see him, Jesus being kind of like a Nehemiah, I want you to also know that Jesus is also a builder himself. In fact, Jesus being a carpenter, the, word, the Greek word is actually technon. It means to shape. I love that. That he wouldn't just build stuff, but he would shape stuff. You know what shaping is? Shaping is taking something that's already existing and then make it something else. I thank God for that because when the Lord started with Scott Brandon, he did not start with a clean palette. <laughs> it wasn't a clear canvas. He had to shape. He had to shape. If you like to work with wood, you'll know this, is that some of the most beautiful pieces that carpenters put out come from the most difficult pieces of wood that you find. In fact, it's wood. I don't even know if the Lord did this just to say, see, this is how I work. But when you find a piece of wood and it's kind of gnarly looking and it tends to grow around typically a problem or something wrong, maybe a branch is falling or, it's a, or there's an insect there or whatever it might be, there's some kind of an imperfection in the wood. If the, wood, if the tree is still alive, it begins to grow and wrap itself around there. And if you can take that piece of wood and you begin to sand it back and cut back, you will see beautiful grains that you never would in just a regular tree that goes straight. You see, the Lord is, is a shaper. And in your life, there's a wall. He wants to build. He wants to shape you. He wants to lead you. And the Lord is such a gentleman, he will never force his hands and his plans and his ideas upon you. He wants you to receive it. I know when I pray, I say, Lord, I, I got a lot of work for you to do. <laughs> but I freely give myself to you. I know the Lord knows some things that need to be done in my life. Do you have some work in your life that the Lord needs taken care of? Do you have some rubble that needs removed? It's just too much, God. I, I can't do it on myself. I can't follow 12 steps enough to get there. Those things may help me think practically, but I, I need a spiritual solution to my spiritual and physical need. I need you, Lord, to remove rubble that's just too much in my life. I have some enemies, God. I've got some enemies. People who are not, I guess, against me, but they are definitely for themselves. And I need someone to lead me in building this wall. Show me. I wish I could have got to this one part, but I, I want to say this because it's important for us as a church. Nehemiah finally came to a place in life where he had a, a trial and a sword in everyone's hand. It's important for us to understand you must have the sword of the Spirit to fight off the enemy, but you also must have this trowel, this tool to build the kingdom of God. If we lay down the sword and we only build, we become insensitive and, 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 and ignorant to what the Word is actually saying in our life. We become more social. And this is when we have a, a social gospel. That's when people come to church just for the culture of church and not Jesus. We don't want to be there. We've come for Jesus alone. But at the same time, too, we can't be all about the Spirit and the sword. It's not good enough for us to have just power in the Holy Spirit in our life every Sunday and we're getting prayed up and we're good to go, but we don't do anything with the trowel over here. What, what good is it to be so earthly-minded, right, that you're no heavenly-minded, that you're no earthly good? And so we got to be a church, and we will be a church of sword and trial. We're going to build, and we're going to fight.
Would you stand with me this, this morning? Father, I ask you today, Lord, you see the work that's needed in our life. I thank you that you're Lord of that work. I thank you, Lord, that you protect me from the enemy. I thank you, Lord, that you put tools in my hand. I don't just pray and hope that your word comes true. Lord, you actually gave me the experience, the opportunity to work with you. So I pray, Lord, today that you will do just that, that you will fight our battles for us, teach us how to pray. Lord, to not personalize the attack in our lives, knowing, God, that people really are hurt. And we know, Lord, that hurt people hurt people. So we ask God today, God, would you lead us in our direction of our life and in our faith today? Lord, make us wise to the enemy. We love you, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to open the altars today and just say, if you need the Lord to actually work in you, to accomplish some things that what he spoke to you while I was preaching, I'm just going to give you an open altar call today. Would you come?